Please stand for the reading of the gospel. A reading from Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 53. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were, that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when they had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that to the, to the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led, led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were, they were continually in the temple blessing God. The word of God for the people of God. We are in the home stretch of our sermon series, Speaking Christian, based on the book by Marcus Borg. And I'm so glad that so many of you have said yes to reading this book, either in your life group, so you can talk about it with friends, or you're reading it on your own. Thank you so much for that. It's going to carry us through May 20th, which is Pentecost Sunday and Graduation Sunday, when we honor our seniors and people graduating college. If there are any seniors here coming back on May 20th, we'll honor you that day. All right? Uh, it's going to be a, a great time, and I, I hope that you're reading the book. If you're not, it's not too late. There's still a few chapters left. And I have to tell you, if, if you're one of those people who's 100% set in your faith every day, blessings upon you, right? But for the rest of us, this book is so helpful when it comes to wading our way through some of these terms, which sometimes have become volatile or co-opted, or sometimes the church has let other people co-opt them in unhealthy ways. So if you know somebody who could use some help with some of these words and terms about the life of the church and God and faith, this is the book I put in their hands, and I hope that you'll do that too. In this sermon series, we've been able to go in order except for two chapters. So as I mentioned, May 20th is going to be Pentecost Sunday, but that's chapter 19. It would be next week, but we thought we want to preach and read about Pentecost on Pentecost, so we decided to shift that to be the last one on Pentecost Sunday. So we made that shift, so be prepared for next week. And then we also shifted Easter, because Easter was chapter 9. And if we had been doing it chronologically, we would have talked about Easter, oh, the week before Ash Wednesday, which just feels kind of weird to talk about Easter before Lent. So we had to move that. But luckily, here we are, back on track, chapter 18, for Ascension, and it is Ascension Sunday. It is not Ascension Sunday. It is actually uh, far beyond Ascension Sunday. Ascension isn't celebrated until 40 days 
into the season of Easter. So we're doing Ascension very, very early. If that rattles you, I apologize. We're going right from Easter to Ascension in a week. But here's the deal. Uh, I've seen other churches go faster. So <laughs> one time, I, uh, there was a church here in the metro who they built a brand new sanctuary just in time for Christmas Eve. They're so excited with that timing to build it and have it open for Christmas Eve. I was really excited for them, and I wanted to see the new space. So I had the next Sunday available, and I went out to uh, worship with them. This is about three days after Christmas. And as I'm singing the songs and praying the prayers and taking in the liturgy and taking in the sermon, I'm realizing there is a lot of language about the blood of Christ and a lot about the cross and the suffering. Now, here's the deal. That stuff's all very, very important. I'm not saying that we shouldn't talk about that. We're doing communion. I mean, the blood, the cup, right? We just had Good Friday. You can't have Easter without Good Friday. But I was left thinking, it was just Christmas three days ago. He was just a baby. Can we just maybe hold off before we look at the cross? There's a lot of life between the birth and the death of Jesus. So other churches have gone faster. The other thing with ascension that makes me feel like we can talk about it a little early now is that we don't really talk about it all that often in the first place, right? So for example, uh, I give tours here, not like Lori Johnson, not like Jerry Gale and our rest of our excellent tour people. I come in here and people, I kind of give them the, the, the short and sweet version. I point out what I know. So uh, I point out a few things. So uh, watch your eyeballs, uh, balcony, and I have a little laser pointer. So over here, I point out there's the gospel writer's window, and over here, there's the prophet's window. In the back balcony, there is the win women's window. And I point out the, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. It's behind the screens there. And then I like to point out the tier windows. So I point out over here, we've got... In this northwest corner, we have the birth of Jesus, the nativity. And then over here, I point out, here's the death of Jesus, the cross. Over on the southeast side, I point out the resurrection of Jesus, Easter. And then over here, I point out the ascension of Jesus. So uh, beautiful windows. You might be asking yourself, uh, birth, death, resurrection, ascension, where's the life of Jesus? As we said, there's a lot of life between birth and death, right? Well, the life of Jesus is all throughout the church. So as you go all throughout the church, you're going to find the life of Jesus. Metaphor. <laughs> all right. But uh, you'll find windows all over the place. So at uh, that door, you'll find uh, a window of Jesus performing miracles with water, out that door, out the stairwell, there's uh, Jesus doing miracles of healing. And if, if you go up that stairwell, out that back door, there's a window where Jesus is performing miracles of healing for women. And behind him in every panel, there are men who look really grumpy about it. <laughs> oh, don't heal those women, Jesus. I love it. But when it comes to these four windows, uh, something happens every time. And I know that's a term of absolute, but I truly mean this happens every single time. So I'll be standing with somebody and pointing out these windows, and I'll say, so this is the birth of Jesus. Oh, and this is the death of Jesus. Oh, and here is the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, and here's the ascension of Jesus. Huh. <laughs> we don't talk about it as much. 
I mean, think about it. We've got Christmas, Good Friday, Easter. Not really a high holiday. In some traditions it is, in some places it is, we'll talk about this. Now, ironically, you can't see this window as well as the other ones because behind it is all the scaffolding of the tuck pointing. How's that for a metaphor, right? The one that we need to learn more about, we're working on, there's construction, uh huh? And by the way, all these beautiful windows, they were paid for by people who wanted to donate money to make the windows happen, to either honor someone or celebrate them. You might notice we still have some open windows. So if you would like to do that, first let's do the tuck pointing, and then the windows. Sound good, Pastor Judy? Yes. Uh, so since we can't see it so well, I have a side of that. Kristen, can we get the side of the ascension window? All right, so there it is, maybe a little more clear. So as we look at this ascension window, we've got Jesus who is literally ascending from the ground, uh, surrounded by angels and some seraphim. And here are the 11 uh, men who are disciples. And I guess the artist left off all the women. There must be off to the sides here. But uh, we have this depiction of Jesus ascending into heaven. And this is a very classic representation of the Bible passage that Morgan just read. It's a perfect passage when it comes to the ancient, or rather, a perfect representation for the passage as it was presented to the ancient worldview of a three-tiered world. The understanding in that time was that the world was in three parts. So there was the dome, up, and the dome was heaven and the waters of heaven up here, and then here on, this, on the ground, this is humankind. This is where we dwelled, here in creation. And uh, you would never want the dome to break open because the, the waters of heaven would come rushing down. That's why in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus is baptized, it uses the stark image of the dome, the sky ripping open, and the Holy Spirit pouring down on Jesus. It's such an earth-shattering, life-changing moment when he is baptized. So we've got the dome and heaven, and then we've got the land here where the people are. And then in that ancient three-tiered world vision, there is down below this underworld. The ancient Hebrews would have called it Sheol, this place of darkness and shadow, kind of a neutral spot, not, not, not necessarily bad, just there. And then sometime between when the Older Testament and the Newer Testament were written, that's when the Pharisees, who were the liberals of their day, believe it or not, uh, started picking up on what the Zoroastrians were teaching about. Maybe this underworld is this place of, of torture, of fire, of, of something that has to do with punishment for what we're doing up here. So if, if that's important for your theology, there's that vision of it. We kind of have a three-tiered system here in our church. We literally have this spire, that steeple, that is aspiring to heavens. So it's literally going up, but also figuratively it is shooting up toward the heavens, up to God. And then here we are in the sanctuary, here on the ground where humankind dwells, and then down below the temptation of the bacon. <laughs> Keep the doors closed for the bacon will waft in and tempt us all. <laughs> now, this vision supports that three-tiered structure of how the ancients viewed the world. But we have more understanding of science and cosmology now, and so we have a broader expansion of knowledge and a broader understanding of the expansive love of God. As someone, as uh, Jesse said, God can love pretty far, right? So what is this ascension? In the midst of this, by the way, I want to say I don't have any sermon illustrations today. I don't have any uh, stories for you to ponder. Today, I would really like you to ponder your own life and think about it. Because while we don't talk about ascension that much, 
I would propose that it is the ascension which ties all the rest of them together to help us live a life of faith. It's what ties together the birth and the life and the suffering and the death and the resurrection and surprise of Jesus into ascending to something new for our life of faith. So in this vision of Jesus going up to heaven, it solves a problem for the ancient world. Where is Jesus? Because if he rose and he's walking around after the tomb, where is he now? Why isn't he walking around with us? Well, if we have this vision of, God, of Jesus ascending to heaven and going away from this level of the world, that solves that problem, right? But I have to wonder, is there more to it than just that? What else is Jesus ascending to in this story? I wonder if Jesus is ascending in the hearts of the disciples as well, ascending in status. It says that Jesus is going to be with God in heaven, maybe be back with God. If we remember John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, returning to be with God in this new way. Uh, to be with God in heaven, this heaven that we keep trying to bring here to earth, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. This new way of Jesus not being limited by his humanity, not having to be limited by the steps he can take or the time uh, that it takes to walk from Galilee to Jerusalem or that particular uh, time in human history of around uh, 0 to 33 CE. Jesus ascends to transcend that limitation so that Jesus can now be everywhere. So that now, almost 2,000 years later, we can say with impunity, Jesus walks with me, and I walk with Jesus. And it still means something, whether or not we were walking that dusty trail from Galilee to Jerusalem with the other disciples. And we can see that Jesus is ascending for the disciples because something changes for them in their hearts. As Jesus ascends, they do something that they've never done before in the Gospel of Luke. They worship him. Now, for many of us who have been maybe worshiping God, worshiping Jesus all or most of our lives, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Oh, there was a point in which you were just with Jesus and then a point where you worship Jesus. But that's what happened for them. This man, this teacher, this one who loved them, who they've been walking with and talking with and eating with and praying with and healing with, this man who they betrayed and ran away from and then got surprised by, they now worship him because he has ascended in their hearts. He has ascended into their hearts to be their Lord. Now, Lord can be a very loaded term for some folks. I get that. If Lord is not your favorite word, I understand. Uh, I would say, I wonder sometimes if Lord has become a loaded term, not so much because of Jesus and not so much because of faith or the church, but I think Lord has become loaded for, for two reasons. I think, one, it's because we are in the United States. And I don't know if you notice, but in the United States, no one tells me what to do. We've got this independent streak about us in the United States. We have a holiday called Independence Day. We celebrate that more than the Ascension, right? So we have this independent streak. No one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to lord over me. 
So we've got that vibe in the culture of our nation. And second, I think that many of us have experienced lording, which has been unhealthy. An unhealthy experience where someone tried to lord something over us, maybe, maybe brought some shame onto us, or maybe uh, trying to control us, manipulate us or uh, not listening to our voice and just going ahead and doing whatever they want, creating policy that we know is unjust, but they're the Lord, Lord of the manor. So when we got those two images of Lord going on, yeah, I can see why it can be kind of a loaded term for some people. But what kind of Lord is Jesus? That's the big question in this passage. What kind of Lord is Jesus if we let Jesus ascend to lord over our hearts and thus the way that we act in this world we get three clues to what kind of lord jesus is the first thing that jesus does when he appears to these disciples is surprise them and they jump in fear all he does is walk up to them and say peace be with you would that scare you i don't know it scared them they all jumped and they thought we were surprised, they were frightened, they thought they saw a ghost. He says, peace be with you. And it is surprising, because in their world, how many lords would have said peace instead of war? How many of our lords today say war instead of peace? The kind of lord that Jesus is, is the kind who says, peace be with you. And then Jesus proceeds to teach them all teach them about the scriptures and the prophets and the psalms. He sits down and he teaches, and he does it with patience and grace. That's how this Lord teaches. He's not the kind of Lord who says, why don't you just get it? Just get there. What, what is wrong with you? Can't you just get there? Can't you just do what I'm doing? Just understand it. Get it there. Not that kind of Lord. Maybe you've had that kind of Lord in your life. I've had two or five. But that is not the kind of Lord that Jesus is. And then the third thing that Jesus does is he blesses them. That's the kind of Lord that Jesus is here. He blesses. As he is ascending, he holds out his hands and he blesses them. He holds out his hands, which have been scarred by his suffering and crucifixion. He holds out his hands and his scars and says, I bless you and I have scars too. I've been wounded too. I've been right there with you. And I bless you. And I bless you with all of your scars. And I bless you with all of your wounds. And I love you. That's the kind of Lord that Jesus is. Not the kind of Lord who would take your wounds, take your scars, and mock you for them, shame you for them, take advantage of your vulnerability. That's not the kind of Lord that Jesus is. This Lord is ascending in our hearts in a new way. And finally, we get this great clue about how Jesus interacts with disciples and this interacts with us when it comes to joy. One of my favorite lines in this whole pericope, that's fancy church word for story, my favorite line in this whole pericope is when Jesus appears and it says that the disciples were feeling joy in the midst of their disbelief and their wonder so in between disbelief and wonder in between this tension the disciples are finding joy 
They're finding excitement. They're finding embracing this mystery, this tension. Uh, I think the difference between disbelief and uh, uh, wonder, thanks. The, dif the difference between disbelief and wonder is this. Disbelief is, yeah, I don't know. Wonder is, yeah, I don't know. Can you hear that difference? And then in between, Jesus brings joy. Jesus brings comfort and hope and embracing of um, that wrestling, that tension. That's the kind of Lord that Jesus is. And so when we go out into this world, friends, as Easter people, we ponder how are we letting Jesus ascend in our hearts to be our Lord. So may you go from this place seeking this Lord, this Lord who um, will say peace to you, not war. This Lord who will uh, teach you with patience and grace, not anger. And may you go with this Lord who blesses you with scars to your scars. And through that, may you find joy. Amen.